Ladies and gentlemen, what if wine made you live longer? Well, that's the question I have been asking myself after returning from my trip to Okinawa, Ikaria and Loma Linda. I've been visiting the Blue Zones, the longevity cultures around the world where an average life expectancy exceeding ours by 10 years is common. And this is not only common, it's also done with a fraction of the disease. So not succumbing to cancer, not succumbing to heart disease sometimes. No words for depression or anxiety or even retirement. These are cultures who have extreme states of health and well-being. In Ikaria, for instance, they have almost no dementia or neurodegenerative diseases whatsoever. It's pretty incredible. Today's episode is brought to you by the Longevity Film 2019-2020 Official Cinema Tour. Guys, we're coming around Australia to all the major locations to bring my new film. If you haven't seen the trailer, it's up on the socials, on my Instagram at kalesbroccoli, on YouTube at kalesbroccoli, and also on my website at kalebrock.com. So make sure you go and check it out and give it a share. We're, with this one, we're definitely um, going uphill against an algorithm, a, a social media algorithm that does not support health health and well-being uh, content that much. But hey, today I thought I'd share with you my article on what if wine made you live longer. I bet you that got you downloading pretty quick today. (laughs) But alas, whether it's the lightly coloured, naturally fermented homemade red of Ikaria or the dark, dry, Grenache red in Sardinia, When it comes to the observation of cultures who live a long time, one may come to the conclusion that alcohol, in particular wine, may actually contribute to their longevity. Icaria, Greece, July 2019. It's 10 in the morning and the wine tastes like it's been spiked with vodka. I took a final gulp of the light cherry-coloured red swirling in a small glass in my hand. Indeed, it seemed to taste better with every sip, the harsh bite fading away into a sweet and fermented aftertaste. We'd better start dancing soon, I hope, I added, feeling slightly buzzed already and somewhat self-conscious of just how much buzz the camera would be picking up as it rolled with its little red light looking at me across the table. It was in fact 10 in the morning. Ikaria was my last stop on my journey into the world's blue zones, longevity cultures, where people live longer, healthier and happier lives than anywhere else in the world. And this was a new feat for me. I could hardly believe that I was drinking wine, eating bread and slow-cooked goat on an island in the middle of the Aegean Sea, which has been assigned the tagline, the island where people forget to die. The people in Ikaria have extreme well-being. They have almost no dementia, and one in three make it into their 90s. They have a total lifespan about, on average, 10 years longer than us in, quote-unquote, the West, and they live with a fraction of the disease. How did they achieve such feats? Are they meditating and doing yoga? They're surely fasting, I concluded. I was interrupted. You must eat now. Our on-the-ground contact in Ikaria, Eleni, said. Every time you drink, you must eat. She motioned to a plate of Greek salad, all homegrown and organic, mind you, and goat. 
I'm so full already. Daxo. Okay, so you move around a bit, then you come back and eat. I was, an att- I was attending an Ikarian Panagiri, a religious celebration, up in a dry, rocky, mountainous village of the island. This was, apparently, the best Panagiri you could hope to attend because it was the true, authentic expression of Ikarian culture. A thousand-year-old church stood in the middle of a large, tiled courtyard. A small kitchen had been built nearby out of beautiful sandstone and would act as the service area for the hundreds of people due to attend the event that day. All the while, the blistering sun did its best to penetrate the thick branches, offering a natural shelter for the area, which would eventually turn into a dance floor eight hours later. It was all very Mediterranean. I watched as a small lorry backed into the courtyard carrying dozens upon dozens of bottles of local Icarian wine. Eleni informs me it is all homemade, it's all organic and preservative free. It is real wine, she said. You never taste anything like it. I certainly hadn't, nor had I consumed so much before lunchtime, I'm used. I was recruited to help the help lift the heavy crates off the back of the truck and deliver them into the kitchen area. They were stacked crate upon crate behind a counter which people would approach, buy a wine, followed by a goat and salad and take it out to their table to consume amongst friends and family. The money collected would be distributed amongst the local village as the local people saw fit. Sure, There's research out there supporting the health benefits of certain wines, in particular red wine, especially Grenache, such as reduced risk for cardiovascular disease. But in my opinion, none of these studies were really solid. I knew that antioxidants, like those found in red wine, reduce inflammation, and that ageing and disease are rooted in inflammation. But it was difficult to quantify, to ascertain, to determine if wine or alcohol was good or bad. It would be left up to observation, I thought. The wine is a big part of your culture then? I asked Alini. Yes, but it's more than that. It's about what the wine represents, what it does. For instance, you never drink alone in Nicaria, always with friends or family. It is used to bring people together for conversation, dancing and food. Thea Paracos, the owner of Thea's Inn, a beautiful accommodation space back down the mountain, chimes in. You'll very rarely see someone get drunk here. It's frowned upon to get drunk in Ikaria. The wine is used as a social lubricant of sorts. It gets people talking and dancing and having fun. I thought back to the notes I had taken about the two previous locations I had visited. It seemed, and this was certainly backed by the research, that community and social ties were one of, if not the most important factor in determining the longevity and quality of one's life. In Okinawa, I had visited a sake factory and attended Mawai meetings where the men, in particular, enjoyed plenty of it. I had watched a 93-year-old down a frothy beer with her mates and then go and sing six karaoke songs after spending all day dancing. I had heard about groups of shepherds in Sardinia carrying a large containers of Grenache with them all day whilst working the fields and sharing them over lunch. But I hadn't thought about the side effects of the alcohol in this way, the indirect benefits of how and who the alcohol was consumed with. 
what I was seeing in front of me at this Panagetti was this beautiful display of alcohol being used intelligently, not to get drunk, but to limit one's inhibitions, not to blunt emotions, but to liberate them into friendly discussion and, importantly, to enhance the strong undercurrent of presence, relaxation and fun, which was so tangible at this celebration. I wondered how I would convey this revelation to the people watching my film or reading my work back home or listening to this podcast. How could I disentangle what I thought to be the misconstrued notion that all alcohol is the same? Because if anything, these cultures were consuming the premium version of it, the organic, preservative-free versions. Surely that was important. They consumed the alcohol most often with food and didn't drink excessively. Perhaps most importantly, they didn't consume it alone. They didn't consume the alcohol to consume alcohol. It was consumed with a higher intention, a higher intention of connecting more deeply with their community. All these caveats ran through my head as I bounced along the dance floor, swept up in the infectious smiles of the locals around me who sweated and sung with the music. It was truly the best party I had ever been to. Perhaps it wasn't about the wine at all. But then again, without the wine, I wonder if it would be the same. So that's the article I wrote after sitting in the editing suite, punching out the longevity film, which has been a massive process, but one that's been a lot more uh, catered for with good preparation this time, as opposed to the gut movie uh, which, by the way, is now available online. If you haven't seen the gut movie yet, you can see it via calbrock.com or thegutmovie.com. This new film, the longevity film, has got me rethinking a lot of stuff around health and well-being, what it means to be well, and why you want to be well, and the feats that human beings can achieve when they tick off certain pillars of longevity and wellness, which we'll discuss in the film. As I mentioned before, the tour is being conducted in November, December, January, February next year. We're going from uh, Sydney to Melbourne to Adelaide to Perth to Darwin, all the way up the East Coast, down to Byron Bay and more. We're also heading over to California in February and I'd love for you guys to be a part of it. You can also host a screening as well. So we've teamed up with FanForce who are helping us distribute the film and if you see that the longevity film isn't coming to your area, then you can actually get it to come by registering your interest to host a screening. You can do that via kalebrock.com and then uh, head to the longevity film link there. It's at the bottom of that page there. Uh, thanks so much for your patience with the podcast. We haven't recorded a lot this year because of my commitments to the film. This is going to be a big one. It's bigger and better than the gut movie. We've had an incredible response to the release of tickets. Uh, all the early birds sold out super, super quick. Um, and I think we're going to have a massive sellout tour, which is super exciting. So thanks so much for continuing to tune in. I will see you guys soon. Bye-bye.